0: Standing in front of it, I felt a tiny, a significant insect. This is actually what the Soviet regime tried to instill into their citizens. The feeling that if you get in the way, you will be crushed by the mighty Soviet machine.
1: I had such a motherly figure, I would be probably in the a, in a clutches of the psychiatrist for quite a while.
2: In the very capital of Ukraine, Towering over central Kyiv is the Motherland Monument, Bajkivshina Mat, the figure of a woman raising a sword and holding a shield on which the Soviet state symbol, the hammer and sickle, is emblazoned. The tallest monument in Europe and the 24th tallest monument in the world, the Motherland Monument is a vivid reminder of Ukraine's difficult and complex past. This is Sofia and Isabel Jewell. We are fourth-year students here at the University of Alberta in the Department of Modern Languages and Cultural Studies. And today, in this podcast, we are going to take you to the center of Kyiv, Ukraine to discuss and explore the Motherland Monument. When we visited Ukraine in 2018, we could not help but notice the prominence and importance of the Motherland Monument. While visiting other sites around the city, the monument caught our eye. Many tourists were interested in visiting the monument, yet what occupied our thoughts was not so much the monument itself, but what it symbolized. Certainly, many people appreciate the view of the surroundings this tourist site offers to those who climb inside the monument, and also its immense size, but others view it as Soviet propaganda, suggesting that Ukraine has not moved on from her past, or fully overcome her oppression. Unlike the Statue of Liberty, which represents ideas of independence and freedom, some feel that it commemorates and glorifies far less desirable memories, memories of Soviet domination and values. Unlike most monuments and statues, which could be removed or put in a museum, the Motherland monument's sheer size makes it permanently placed in a city, and it would be impossible to relocate or remove it without extensive restructuring so today, we want to delve deeper into how the monument connects to Ukraine's past, and what it means for Ukraine's identity. In this three-part podcast, we will take you on a journey across Canada to hear the perspectives of Ukrainian professors and scholars in the diaspora community, then inside the monument through the eyes of a sculptor who was involved in its creation, and finally, to the foot of the monument itself. All in order to answer the question, is the Motherland monument a symbol of the Soviet regime or the face of modern Ukraine? What does the Motherland Monument mean to Ukrainians today?
3: Hello, everybody. This is History X, the show about what they didn't teach you in school. I'm your host, Russell Cobb. And yes, that is today's episode. It's the big mother of Kiev. It's going to be a really exciting show. You're you're going to be able to hear perspectives on Ukrainian history you won't get anywhere else I promise you this you're gonna go literally inside the tallest monument in Europe and hear a perspective on it that you won't get on a tour guide you won't get on Wikipedia so stay right there I am happy to bring you this show with Sophia and Isabel Jewell, two of my students from MLCS 410 last term um this is a really uh, amazing uh, story I, it really kind of blew me away and um the doggedness of these two reporters also blew me away it's history x on the mighty mighty CGSRFM fm in amiskwichiwa skygun treaty 6 territory you're gonna want to see you're, you're really gonna want to hear this so stay right there
2: The monument is made of stainless steel. Standing 102 meters tall, it was built close to the Pechersk Lavra Monastery. It was opened on May 9, 1981 in order to commemorate the military power and success of the Soviet Union during World War II. It is one of the most popular tourist attractions in Kyiv, and in 2019 it received approximately 800,000 tourists. Although the monument is clearly connected to the Soviet past, some websites describe the monument as the city's most distinctive feature, saying that without it, it would be difficult to imagine the face of modern Kyiv. This surprised us and made us wonder whether the monument had taken on a new meaning in modern Ukraine. For us, the monument seemed to glorify the Soviet regime, and contradicted how we felt about Ukraine's post-independence identity. We decided to ask Ukrainians what they thought. For this podcast, we reached out to 20 individuals, among whom are professors, scholars, researchers, artists, and sculptors. Many are from the Ukrainian diaspora, giving us a glimpse into the views of those who no longer live in Ukraine, but still feel a deep connection to Ukrainian culture and identity. The majority of the people we interviewed are professors of Ukrainian language and culture at universities across Canada. Therefore, they are very knowledgeable, engaging with the issue of Ukrainian history and identity, at the professional academic level. Interestingly, many lived in Ukraine during the Soviet era and therefore had perspectives that were influenced by this experience. This offers a valuable viewpoint because the Soviet era was a huge part of Ukraine's history and had a long lasting effect. In Ukraine, history is still very much alive and many Ukraines have vivid memories of this past regime. Before we did these interviews, we didn't realize just how many of the people connected the monument to their personal experience of the Soviet Union. These interviews show how much the Soviet experience is still relevant, how it is still something Ukrainians are dealing with today. Dr. Alexander Pankiev is a research coordinator and editor-in-chief of the Forum for Ukrainian Studies at the Canadian Institute of Ukrainian Studies at the University of Alberta. He has done a lot of research about politics in Ukraine. Dr. Pankyeyev says,
4: I regard it as a symbol of authoritarian regime that suppressed Ukraine and its people for over 70 years.
2: Another person who prefers to remain anonymous made a similar point. However, to me,
0: it does represent the regime that was gradually and consistently destroying Ukrainian culture, identity and nation.
2: In fact, many of the people we spoke with view the monument as representing the ideologies promoted at that time, when the Soviet Union was in control. Dr. Irene Sivanke is an Associate Professor of Comparative Literature at the University of Alberta and Associate Graduate Chair for the Department of Modern Languages and Cultural Studies. She has researched extensively about Central and Eastern Europe, and has also researched about cultural borders and urban spaces. Dr. Sivanke described the monument as, quote, the idea of Soviet patriotism and motherland End quote. She writes, quote, It is a symbol of the Soviet era modernity, technology, and progress. From what I know, the monument was indeed quite an engineering achievement. I never saw it as art or an attractive city landmark, but as an ideologically laden object. Quote. Interestingly, Bohdan Horich, a member of the Ukrainian diaspora, pointed out that the monument was built with so much material and effort from the people, Yet, at the same time, the needs of the people were being completely neglected. This really showed the extreme extent to which the state's projects took priority over human living conditions.
0: I see it more as a
4: desperate attempt at Soviet aggrandizement. People lived in poorly built apartment blocks, while massive funds were spent on glorious monuments.
2: Dr. Irena Konstantyuk is a professor at the University of Manitoba. An instructor of Ukrainian language and culture in the department of German and Slavic studies. She is also the Central and East European Studies program coordinator and undergraduate program advisor for Ukrainian. Dr. Konstantyuk was a high school student in May of 1981 and saw the ribbon cutting ceremony, which was attended by Leonid Brezhnev, the general secretary of the Communist party. Yeah, I saw it when it was opened. Um, I forgot the year. Oh, really? Um, what, so what was the opening ceremony like? Was it, um, were there a lot of people there?
4: Yeah, there were tons of people because they brought all these people from uh, Kiev and surrounding area. They had all the militia there. They had soldiers to guard the general secretary of the Communist Party. Right. Well, tons of people from the government. It was a huge ceremony. It was on TV and in the newspapers. And uh, wow. and the fact that I watched it it means that I was in school and they made us to watch it. Mm-hmm. And we had a, uh, his name was Brezhnev at that time, who so right. came to give uh, to open the statue, right? right. Uh, and it's funny because uh, while opening, he was very old and sick at that time. And um, while opening it, I think he fell. What? He fell.
1: Brezhnev.
2: Brezhnev. Yeah. Brezhnev. fell while opening it.
4: Yes. And it was hilarious because uh, <laughs> we looked at it. I was like, oh, Lord, he's so old and so sick that he can hardly oh, right. move. And they brought him all the way to Kiev to cut the ribbon. Right? That's, so, that's how I remember it. I remember yes. Brezhnev as well. They showed it even on, um,
2: on the news. Interesting. How old were you then? I,
4: well, I was obviously young. Right? I see. Right. 16, 17, maybe.
2: Dr. Konstantyuk lived and grew up in the Soviet Union before Ukrainian independence. I was born in
4: the 60s, right? You also need to know that it was a society, the Soviet society was, a, again, You, I'm talking about Ukraine. It was a totally different story in Russia. Right, yeah. This is um, where it was based on lie, right? So we would hear one story and then go back home and hear a different story from, let's say, my parents, right? Interesting. My my dad was telling me, you know, he listened to the Voice of America. He was, uh, you know, he didn't like uh, the regime. He uh, Uh, was against it. And uh, so I was getting, like, different messages, right? Right at home and then at school. So we learned how to hide and not to express our thoughts at school because otherwise we would be kicked out and our parents would have a problem, right? So uh, it was quite an interesting time.
2: The monument is more than just an artistic creation. It's really connected to difficult histories and is truly an ideologically-laden object. Dr. Natalia Pelepiuk, is a professor emerita of the University of Alberta's Department of Modern Languages and Cultural Studies. She received a PhD from Harvard University and has taught courses on Ukrainian language, culture, and history. Dr. Pilipiuk pointed out that the monument is only one of many Soviet legacies that people are still dealing with in Ukraine. They are dealing with so many other Soviet legacies
4: that are not so visible, but they're equally
2: and maybe more painful. So the answers we received confirmed our own feelings about the monument's connection to the Soviet Union. However, during our interview with Dr. Konstantyuk, we also learned about another way the monument is connected to past events, specifically the role of Ukraine in World War II. For Dr. Konstantyuk, the monument is mainly connected to World War II. After all, many of the battles of World War II took place on Ukrainian soil, and countless Ukrainians died.
4: So it's a very significant event, right? And because uh, practically every single family had a grandparent or parent who was part of that war, right? Who was killed there or who was a soldier or was injured there. So it's very close to people's heart. Right. right? Because my family member was involved in winning the war, right? He was part of the Soviet army. So, and many people are very proud of that. So that is why it's extremely important, you know, monument and a very important museum.
2: Located in the base of the monument, there is a museum dedicated to those who died during World War II. Dr. Konstantyuk supports the museum, but dislikes the militaristic aspect of the monument itself and feels that in light of how many Ukrainians died, it should have focused more on the sufferings of its victims rather than only on the victory.
4: It symbolizes uh, uh, the readiness to defend. Like uh, many people would view it as a, as a good thing, you know, like uh, who comes with a sword will die from the sword. So, but that whole thing for me, because my grandfather was at the war, you know, the whole land, Uh, my other grandfather was killed in the war. Mm. It's about the loss, it's about sufferings, right? Because we lost so many people and we lost so much, you know, you know how many villages got burned, how many uh, buildings and industries were destroyed, and that's uh, in addition to other sufferings, right, from the Russians and Stalin's uh, regime. So. To me, it should have been, like, uh, a gr- we're grieving, like, it's, right, yeah. you know, we pay the high price, you mm-hmm. know, to get our land back, uh, not just like, you know, we're here to right. defend our land.
2: Interestingly, there is a very similar monument in Volgograd, Russia, the Motherland Calls, which also commemorates a military victory in World War II. Military victory continues to play a role in Russian national identity, but she doesn't feel that it fits with Ukrainian identity.
4: It's the same idea, but you need to also to take into consideration that Ukrainians are very different from Russians. And Russians, their whole national identity is based on the victory in the Second World War. Right, Ukrainian national identity is totally different.
2: So, while it is important to have a monument dedicated to World War II, she felt that the monument should have been done differently.
3: Welcome to History X on the mighty, mighty CGSR 88.5 FM on Treaty 6 territory. It's the show about what they didn't teach you in school, broadcasting from here in Amiskwichiwa, Skygon, Edmonton. You know, um, Sophia and Isabel are telling you about the mother of Kiev, but it's really interesting to note. I noticed as they're talking that 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 although this is about Ukraine and a difficult relationship that Ukraine had with the Soviet Union and today Russia, it's really not isolated. I mean, we're in a period of reckoning, right? Where we're reconsidering what statues we want to glorify, what statues we want to modify, What statues are best taken down or should they be replaced with something else? And I think it's going to be an instructive case study to really go inside this monument and see it from the perspective of people who built it and the people who are in its shadow every single day. Hopefully that will get you thinking about the monuments that surround you anyway. Let's get back to Sophia and Isabel in this amazing story, The Mother of Kiev, on History X, what they didn't teach you in school.
2: Many people we spoke with are critical of its visual impact, not only in terms of the design of the monument itself, but also in terms of the effect it has on the landscape, especially on the ancient historical sites nearby. Is visible from many parts of Kyiv. We first saw the monument by accident from the river where it towered above the landscape. Dr. Taras Koznarski is the acting graduate chair of the Department of Slavic Languages and Literatures at the University of Toronto and an associate professor of Ukrainian studies. He received his PhD from Harvard in 2001, basing his research topic on the city of Kyiv. He said,
1: Well, the first time I saw this statue, for me, it happened in the 90s, and I thought it was just atrocious, just hideous, monstrous. Um, it's quite inhuman. It's, uh, it's a very strong, um, androgynous, powerful uh, creature standing on cave and hills. And the way it was built purposefully uh, to stand next to Kiev Cave Monastery uh, makes for a jarring clash of visual and ideological cues.
2: The monument was intended to be taller than the tower of Pechersk Lavra, which had previously been the tallest location in Kyiv. Pechersk Lavra is an important historic monastery, so this suggests that the monument was intended to dominate the landscape in a certain way, and arguably make a political statement as well. The contrast between the famous monastery and the militaristic monument was also discussed by Dr. Pilafiuk. To me, the
4: statue symbolizes the rape of Kiev's historical and cultural landscape by ugly Soviet monumentalism. The woman and her raised sword and shield visually overpowers the Baroque domes of Cave's ancient Pecherska Lavra, the monastery the status militarism negates the contemplative mode of the medieval structure
2: The monument is a reminder of Ukraine's Soviet past and Soviet symbols are placed prominently on the shield. So what do Ukrainians think about the fact that it is still standing in the middle of the capital of Ukraine? Different people have ideas of what should be done with it. One person suggested that it should be kept as a reminder of the problems of the Soviet era. In my
0: opinion this monument is a symbol of the Soviet era and autocratic um, authoritarian regime, about which I'm not nostalgic at all. I think it is a reminder of where
2: we could slide back if we are not vigilant. Similarly, according to Dr. Koznarski, the monument is perhaps a good reminder of the tragedies of the past. And what do you think is the role of the statue in modern Ukraine?
1: I think it stands to remind of, of that history uh, to both to Kievites, uh to uh, tourists, visitors to the city, and especially to remind everyone of, of that Soviet part of history, um, roughly from 1920, 21 to 1991. Uh, and that Soviet period uh, had quite a few um, traumatic uh, aspects to it, including um, the Holocaust, including the destruction of uh, the center of Kiev uh, during uh, World mm. War II, um, which was not so much doing of the Nazi invaders, but of the KGB uh, scorched earth policy to, to destroy the, the city occupied by the enemy.
2: Others, such as Dr. pankiev view it as potentially valuable for educational purposes.
4: I would leave it as it is, but educate people about the real symbolism of the monument and Ukrainian history.
2: On the other hand, Dr. Savenky points out that some may view the monument as an offensive piece of public art due to the painful history endured by the Ukrainian people at the hands of the Soviet regime. She says of the Soviet symbol, quote, I think it should be removed although the costs of this project may be prohibitively high. The symbol may be offensive to those who lived under the Soviet regime, and especially those who suffered persecution and various forms of oppression during that time." End quote. Dr. Alan Dashkivska is a professor of Ukrainian Language and Applied Linguistics in the Department of Modern Languages and Cultural Studies at the University of Alberta. She is also interim chair in MLCS and teaches Ukrainian courses, Slavic courses, and courses on issues of language, identity, and culture. Dr. Nadashkivska is of the view that the monument in its present state is not a proper representation of Ukraine or Ukrainian identity, and like many others, feels that it's necessary to remove the Soviet symbols from the monument. I feel that the Soviet symbols need to be removed. For me, It symbolizes um, a
0: sovietized mother Ukraine.
2: On the other hand, some feel that the monument has a place in Ukraine, and there are a range of interesting ideas about how this monument could offer something to modern Ukraine. One person pointed out that we can consider the symbolism of the direction the monument faces.
0: However, interestingly, It faces not the West, where, according to the Soviet propaganda, our true enemies were, but the East. Uh, With respect to the current war between Ukraine and Russia, probably the sculptor did have some point in making the monument face the East, not the West. Who knows?
2: At minimum, it offers a glimpse of history. As Dr. Pankheyev says
4: yes i agree that it is an integral part of kiev but i do not quietly agree that it is the face of modern kiev
2: Bogdan horic when asked if he agrees that the monument is the face of kiev says
0: no not as the fa- primary face or
4: rather
3: a small part of a very complex story
2: dr Koznarski pointed out that in a certain sense the monument reflects kiev's tumultuous history so what does the statue symbolize to you
1: um, today it stands for what kiev's history is it's It's very complex it's uh, very it, there is uh, hybridity in Kiev's history that Soviet part Soviet epoch in Kiev's history cannot be erased it's there, it's present and in a strange way this um, this figure uh, mirrors eleventh um, century Oranta. Uh, mosaics in Saint Sophia Cathedral in Kiev, and uh, you see that Soviet regime tried to establish a repertoire of gestures that would make sacred Soviet figures uh, in, basically that's part of uh, Soviet uh, ideological designs.
2: The monument can be viewed as a legacy of those who designed and sculpted it. One person mentioned the artists involved in the project. I think there are a few ways to look
0: at it. For example, it is a legacy of its sculptors and creators that, over time, became a landmark in CAVE, and is listed as one of the sites to visit. For me personally, it is not the place I look forward to visiting when I am
2: a CAVE. I do not feel a connection with it. Is there a future for the monument in Kyiv? Is it possible for the monument to ever fit in to the physical and cultural landscape of the city? Dr. Savenky wonders whether such a change has already begun. She says, quote, I think, however, that its role and symbolism might have been reimagined during the times of independence of Ukraine. Both patriotism and the idea of the motherland are likely recontextualized to fit the new narrative of Ukraine, i.e., the concepts of both patriotism and motherland. Have different meanings for the new generation of Ukrainians. End quote. Without a doubt, these are difficult questions, and answers show the complexity of the Soviet legacy. So many people spoke of the painful reminder that the monument is. But the solution is not straightforward. Perhaps the monument can be changed, given new meanings, or a new purpose. Perhaps it should remain in place as an important reminder of the past. After visiting Ukraine and deciding not to go see the monument, we weren't sure whether or not we were the only ones who were wary of this colossal landmark. As it turns out, many people agree with us. What we do not know is where this leaves us. Some say that the people of Ukraine should be the ones to make the decision about its fate. Join us for our next podcast, where we will explore the monument and its construction from an inside perspective in a private interview with a renowned Ukrainian sculptor who was a student of Basil Borodai and worked on the Motherland Monument itself.
3: You are listening to CJSR FM 88.5 in Amiskwichiwa Skygon on Treaty 6 Territory. I'm your host, Russell Cobb. This is History X, the show about what they didn't teach you in school. And thank you so much to Sophia and Isabel Jewell for that episode, the mother of Kiev. You know, um, I really hope we're going to be able to get inside that statue from um, one of the builders of it, that will be on a future episode of History X. Uh, next week, actually, we're going to bring you another Ukrainian story. And this one is going to teach you a vocabulary lesson that you are going to thank me for. It's called perillustration. And if you've never heard that word, it is uh, actually weirdly relevant to your life. I can assure you that it has to do with people surveilling and reading communi- your communications that are uh not intended for them this episode featured the music of bandura and button and that is a ukrainian duo that combines modern dance music with the folklore folkloric instrument the bandura and the button accordion thank you again sophia and isabel all the guests they brought on please um Be sure to shout out to us, find us on Instagram, Facebook, all those social medias, and we will see you next week.